Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. G'day and welcome to Runners Only with Dom Harvey. On this episode, Brad Smaler, part two. It's just finding gratitude for, yeah, for the things that, that we love about our lives and focusing on what is good. So there is gratitude there, but I, I don't know if I could ever say I'm grateful for the injury itself. Um, that's just a tough one to, yeah, to get through. Yeah, this is the very first for the podcast, the very first repeat guest. Brad was a guest on episode four of the podcast way back in March 2022. This is the first time we've had someone back. The first conversation with Brad is still one of the most talked about podcasts that I've done. Um, it doesn't really matter if you haven't heard that one, though. You can dive straight into this one. Um, I'll just give you a brief summary about the amazing Brad Smaler and who he is. Eight years ago, um, Brad had a life that a lot of people would have gladly traded for theirs. He was one of the world's best wakeboarders, and he spent his 20s chasing summers and girls. Actually, to be more specific, he, um, he didn't have to do all that much chasing when it came to the ladies. Then, in a split-second accident, he ended up quadriplegic. Still the same brain, still the same personality, still the same B-rad, but no feeling or movement from the neck down. In this split second, he went from being fiercely independent to being completely reliant on round-the-clock carers for even the most basic human functions, like wiping away tears. Brad, over the years, has done some intense work and acceptance to become the man he is today, and now he has shared his entire journey in a brilliant book called Owning It. I didn't hesitate to get Brad back for a second chat, because I think we can all get so much from Brad's journey, and I hope you guys enjoy Brad's company as much as what I do. If you like this chat, maybe check out his book, Owning It. He could have got a a ghostwriter or used voice memos, but Brad's a perfectionist, so he wrote every last letter using a mouth stylus and his iPhone. Whatever you're doing when you're listening to this, I hope you take a moment to reflect on just how lucky you are to be doing whatever you're doing. Driving, walking, um, running, cycling, vacuuming, showering, making the bed, cutting your toenails, whatever. Some of these things are called chores, but if, if you can do these things, you're lucky. And the ability to do all of these things could be taken away at a moment. All right, let's get into it. Brad Smaler. Hey, runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, runners only with Dom Harley. Runners only with Dom Harvey, and for, for the first time ever, um, a return guest, Brad Smaler. Oh, I'm honoured to be back again. Yeah, yeah, love to knock out the first, so good to be back with you. Man, yeah, so um, we, by the way, if anyone wants to um, hear the, the 
the interview we did the first time around, that was like um, when the podcast launched, like maybe February or March this year. Um, I recorded the chat with you before the podcast had even launched. You you asked nothing about it. You were like, sure, I'll come on to your fucking podcast. So I came around home and we recorded it. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to that that hasn't already, you're welcome to. Uh, it feels like it's a different conversation to be had now um, because I feel like I know so much more about you <laughs> yeah it's um, I mean a lot's happened since that last uh, last podcast our last chat um, I mean I haven't been many places apart from in my bed uh, been on bed rest for about six months and had a couple of surgeries and a few issues going on but through that time we got the book out we you know I finished editing it did the proofreading and Got it out. It's in stores in people's hands, and you know you're you're most of the way through it now as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, you might be fooled by looking at my apartment because I've got boxes and boxes of books. But I'm, I, I buy books with the intention of reading them, sort of flick through, and then never commit. And I thought it'd be the same with your book because it's it's bloody daunting. It's a big read. It's yep. a mess. It's Lord of the Rings size. Yeah. But um, I've I've loved it, man. Oh, I'm so glad. Like, and that that was yeah. My one worry with how many pages there are was that people would kind of be scared to pick it up off the shelves. But uh, from the you know the response I've had so far, it's people, when they start reading it, they can't put it down. So um, that's, yeah, that's amazing feedback to get, and I'm just really stoked with the response so far. Yeah, so much to talk about with the book. Yeah, first of all, let's talk about your year. So I saw you maybe January or February this year at your house. At that time, like we made a commitment to each other that we were going to like run a run a marathon. I was going to push you in the the Red Bull ring, Wings for life. But you've um you've had a to put it bluntly a prick of a year. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been really challenging, and to be going through just some medical issues, some health health problems, um, you know, bowel related stuff. That's just. Yeah, it's kind of meant that I wasn't able to sit in my wheelchair at all. I wasn't able to tolerate it. Um, tolerate it. I know even when we had our chat last time, we had to pause every 10, 15 minutes for me to be able to kind of um, get my weight off my butt and, and, yeah, kind of ease some of the symptoms that I was getting. So that's that's improved. You know, I had two surgeries. Actually, the second one was a repeat of the first one because it wasn't fully successful. So... Things are getting better now. I'm able to be up in my chair a bit, bit longer, and I've got one surgery to go. Follow up scans next week, so we'll um, see how things are going. But yeah, just good to be able to get up and out, and especially at this time, you know, the book's out. I want to be able to do media, and you know, we had the the book launch last week, and so um, no, it's just great to be back up and and sort of getting better again. Mm. So. Is is this just the life of a quadriplegic? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's it's just kind of got to be used to the fact that you get shit thrown at you. New new issues, new challenges um, throughout, you know, and that's going to be the case for the rest of my life. I think it's it's never going to be fully under control where I have no further issues. It's just, I think it's just the way the way it is, and um, you just kind of got to accept that and do what we can. What's the longest you've gone feeling good? Like is it three months, six months? Yeah. Probably something like that. I, I know over the years there's, you know, there'll be a couple of times a year that I'll end up in hospital with a bladder infection or actually there was maybe a year or so where I didn't. Um, but no, it's, yeah, there's constantly struggles with the situation and it's just um, just part of it and just trying to keep on top of it as best I can. And, you know, I'm, I've got chronic pain, so it means I'm in pain at all times. Um, is that right? Like whereabouts? Uh, my whole body. I've got like nerve pain, so neuropathic pain, which is like 
sort of like a pins and needles sort of tingling sensation, but it's it's unpleasant. It's like a burning cold sensation that um, I would call it maybe a two to three out of ten in terms of pain, um, but it's constant. It's just there so, all the time. And then what can know, alleviate it? Is there meds, weed? Yeah, what? cannabis helps. Yeah, yeah. Um, I you know I, I'm on pregabalin, which is a, a nerve pain medication, which helps and. We are about to do a review of my pain meds and, and just kind of make sure I'm on the best thing that I can be on and um, just try and get things under control. Fuck, that's got to be frustrating as hell. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's it's one of those things. It's just I've just had to learn what I do and don't have control of. And, you know, obviously my health, I can I can work on that and, you know, whatever I'm eating and drinking and all that sort of stuff and how I'm treating my body. But... At the end of the day, there are some things that I just can't control, and mm. um, I just need to do what I can and make the best out of out mm. of the life I got. And um, so that's kind of what the book's about, really, as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I'm, I reckon maybe seventy five, eighty percent of the way through it. I'm recording this on the assumption that most people listening to this probably haven't read it yet, and we want them to. So uh, I'm sort of torn. There's th- like things in the book, obviously, that I want to talk about, but also I don't want to give away too many too many spoilers. But uh, what I will say is that the first 290 pages of the book, 200, that, by the way, that's bigger than most normal books on its yeah. own. First 290 pages, that's, um, that's Brad Smaler pre-accident. Yeah, and so I really wanted to... To give the full picture of what life was like. Oh, and you certainly did. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't, <laughs> didn't hold much back. Um, and I thought that How was much important. Back? What did you hold back? Oh, I mean, that what ended up in the book is only half of what I initially wrote. So, uh, you know, the publishers have read all the uh, the unfiltered version, and it's um, yeah, most, you know, we we kept it as raw as possible, and um, but we just kind of trimmed out the parts that weren't necessary and kind of, you know, we've got enough um, talk of sex and things like that in there that... Oh, every it's, other... It's, mate, flick open to any page in this, Brad, and it's like, it's oh, probably who's this something. new girl? Yeah, that, that was it, you know. It was just, I was a young you know, young man in my late teens, early 20s, and, you know, travelling the world, and I was single, and, I, I, you know, I tried to have some relationships and you know, tried long distance, and it just didn't quite work, and... Um, didn't feel like I was in a position to be able to like bring someone with me, and so yeah, I was just living the single life and tried to be as um, authentic about that as possible and upfront with with the women that I was with, and you know, obviously there were one night stands and things like that, but um, yeah, it was just uh, that was just part of the life, and I, I wanted to to really paint that picture as authentically as I can and give people the real full story before the injury happened, so that then they can feel how far I fell, you know, and how, how hard that hit me and, and, you know, how much it affected me in, in many different ways. And I kind of really dig into that um, through the, the uh, last half of the book. As I was reading it, I, I, I don't know you that well, but I, I feel like from, through following you on Instagram and meeting you a couple of times, I know you well enough and I feel like everything you do is quite purposeful. So there must have been a reason for that. And I'm guessing the reason is to like paint a very, very vivid picture of what your life was like pre-accident but I'm, uh, there's, there's probably going to be a lot of um, women in particular that'll read it that'll think you're an ass totally and that's semi by design you know yeah. like you got to show growth uh, throughout a story like this um you know and that was a growth that i that i made in my life and you know and and then you know talking about sex as well like sex pre-injury and post-injury and part of the reason for that was people are very intrigued about 
spinal cord injury and Kanye, shut up. What's going on, Kanye? Hey. What's up, but <laughs> But no, people are very interested about like can I have sex? What can I feel? What what what's that experience like? So again, I wanted the full story. I wanted people to you know, I didn't want to hold anything back and so kind of wanted that comparison of pre-injury and post-injury what sex is like and relationships and even like how much I focused on you know and how much importance I put on um, sex and and stuff before the accident leads into the issues that came about afterwards and how much that affected me when you know I had all these feelings of inadequacy and you know not being able to to do what I used to be able to do and constantly comparing and and just how that that can have a really negative effect um, on us mentally. And so, yeah, you know, I was sort of a bit like, oh, well, mum's going to read this book. so uh, But she knows me. You know, I lived at, at home with her. She heard the girls sneaking out in the morning and things like that. And so, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and look, if people get to the end of the book and they still judge me negatively, then that, that's, that's fine. That's on them. I, I, don't, I don't think there'll be many people that will. I hope they, you know, see the growth that was made and, understand the reasoning for putting it in there and I think especially young men will be able to learn a few things around the effect that having too much importance on sex how detrimental that can be later in life especially when getting into relationships and stuff so one thing no one can um, accuse you of not being as authentic and I, I think there's something really um, powerful about that but yeah, there's, one, like, there's one part of the book where you're, you're seeing a girl for a few months and you know you decide you're not going to see each other anymore and you have a last night together. Then 12 hours later, you're in LA with another girl picking you up and then while you're with her, you're messaging some girl in Florida and it's like, my man! Yeah, it was... Um... <laughs> and that's all right. There's a bit, so the girl in LA, she drops you off at the airport and she asks you for petrol money, which seems kind of rude, but I was really going, she knows that you've been messaging some other girl. Uh, she might have. I don't really know. She knew it was just a flyby visit. It was just one of those things. Um, I, uh, you know, and the other girl I was messaging was like one that I really wanted, you know, and it, um, it was just, it was one of these things that like, I don't know, it's, it's just part of like when I was traveling the US as well, like it was something like, obviously I enjoyed like meeting women and things like that, but you know, you fly in, you get someone to pick you up and you can like. You know, somewhere to somewhere to crash. Like I was balling on a budget over there. Like I, I really um, didn't have the money to go and pay for hotels and all the stuff. I had to, you know, save as much as I could. And not that I was like using sleeping with women to for accommodation. <laughs> it was just a it bonus. wasn't it wasn't to that extent, but it was a bonus, and it was um, <laughs> you know, and and I just enjoyed living the life and and kind of um, taking every opportunity I could and just how it was mm. that was probably one big su- surprise for me so um you were a, a very very successful wakeboarder like um what what would your world ranking be would you say oh uh, top 20 top yeah, 10 yeah, it would have been in the top 20 most yeah. years um on the pro tour problem with that is you know being a niche sport like unless you're in the top 10 you're not even making money yeah um, that's the thing there's no money. money you're riding off your credit card totally like, that was also part of my situation in the sport i most of the, the guys I was competing against are like rich kids with mum and dad paying the bill. Yeah, sure. They live on a lake in Florida. They don't have to worry about anything but training. Whereas I was having to, you know, think about where my next meal was coming from sometimes. And there's even a couple of moments you would have read, you know, when I, uh, I got second at Worlds in, in South Korea. 
and then got drug tested and lost my medal and I lost $30,000 in funding, which that was my leg up. That was exactly what I needed, but I fucked that up. But yeah, that was just that was just my journey. It was uh, it was a it was a hustle, an, man. An it was underdog a hustle. journey, you know. Yeah. yeah. So and th- then so after two hundred and ninety pages of um your life pre accident, which is like completely a complete one eighty to how your life is now, you talk about the time in hospital. Fuck, that sounds awful. I, I had COVID earlier this year, and I had one sleep this night where I couldn't swallow. Yeah. You you were living that life for like a month, six weeks. Yeah, I had a month of being on a ventilator, and so you can't swallow, you can't eat, you can't drink. Everything's going through a feeding tube up through your nose. And, yeah, I was being on a ventilator. Yeah, I have a tube going down into my lungs. I had pneumonia. I had, yeah, loads of issues. My heart stopped once. I'd pretty much died in front of my mum. It was, like, just the most hellish situation. You know, there were some incredible nurses and people that I met that really helped me through that time and really just made it a little less unpleasant. Um, there were some nurses where I just was like, I don't want you in my room. Get the fuck out. <laughs> um, you know, once that come in, it's like, okay, I can't speak, but it doesn't mean I'm deaf. You don't need to speak to me like I can't hear you or like I'm a child or whatever. And um, But yeah, that was, that was pretty shit. <laughs> um, you know, at times when I was in that situation, I just didn't even want to continue living really. I was just like, didn't want to. Didn't want to go through it. I knew the battle I had ahead of me. Um, and it was all just future-based fears that worried about what life would be like as a, as a quadriplegic and couldn't accept it and um, had all these fears around, you know, being miserable and life not being worth living. And, and so, yeah, it was just amazing to have the community and uh, Wakewood community and my family and friends and stuff that really helped me turn that around and, yeah. and fight. So, so from from where you're sitting now to where you were lying then, like were those were those fears unfounded or? Um, I mean, some of them were warranted, but it wasn't. You know, I just thought that there would be no possibility, there'd be no fun, there'd be no um, adventure. Um, I didn't think any woman would want me, you know, and so yeah, a lot of those I proved wrong. Um, I was very surprised to have like you know beautiful woman fall in love with me after my accident who didn't know me beforehand i was like geez and i was you know as you would have read i was in a pretty confused and and um just scattered sort of situation at that point and you know screwed a few things up um but that was just me kind of fumbling and failing i think that's actually the name of the chapter um you know my way was that the one where you got a couple of girls on the go one that you knew pre-accident and one that you met post-accident yeah and I just I, I was already in love with the girl I knew before and but then I met this incredible woman afterwards and I was sort of like you know it was like I was already trying to get the first one back and then I met the new one didn't realize I didn't even think she'd be into me she falls for me and I was like whoa I'm kind of like which way do I go here and and then you know um I've kind of felt like I almost put some fears of my future onto them like mm. and and kind of almost made like the new girl was my fears of the future and and the the girl that I knew before like it was my comfort in the past and what I knew and what I wanted back so yeah I just kind of like didn't know what to do in that point it was very confusing they're both incredible women both mm. still in, still in my life still friends and 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 just great people so um yeah it was just a lot to be scared of at the beginning, and anyone would be 
frightened in that situation and I just um yeah, just had to fight for a while. I had to have physical rehab to focus on to to get me through it and um um that was sort of the turning point and had to change my mindset, and mm. there was a lot I learned oh, yep, from yep. Susie. And yeah, I'm going through that at the moment. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Susie. I, I want to learn more about her. What an incredible woman. Um, but one thing, just an observation. So I went to your um, book launch last weekend, and uh, there were a lot of beautiful women in the room. And being halfway through your book at that point, I was looking around trying to like put faces to yeah. names and things. But I, I thought that obviously says a lot about you and the way you respected or treated or ended relationships with women that so many of them were in the room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all, you know, the, the majority of them are people I've stayed in contact with and remained friends with. Um, and as I think I even write it in the book, at my, my birthday after my accident, it's like it wouldn't be a, a B-Rad party without Auckland's <laughs> finest. Um Oh, so that was at the Cavalier, which is um, a bar like 400 metres from where we're sitting now. Yeah. And you had like a, like a moment of sadness wash over you where you realised that these girls that once look, looked at you like with sort of you know, thirsty AF eyes were now yeah. looking at you with eyes of pity. Do you think that was actually how they were looking at you? Or in hindsight, is that your internal perception? I think most of it was the internal perception, but then there's also the reality of my situation. You know, it isn't something that women are... You know, or it might be something that would deter women. Um, you know, it's not something anyone thinks of when they're growing up. Is you know, you, you picture the white picket fence and the family and everything being perfect, which it never really turns out to be. There's always challenges. There's always things that are different to the way we plan. But um, yeah, I'm 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 completely accepting of the fact that I I know that my situation isn't what most people would choose. Um, and choosing someone and um, getting into a relationship with. And saying that, you know, there are, as I said, there have been women who see past the chair and they see, you know, see me for who I am and and are happy to come along for the ride and learn about the challenges and figure out new ways of doing things. And um, so, yeah, I think there's a bit of both at that party. I'd say, like, you know, the eyes of desire probably weren't there anymore. Mm. Um, you know, they're probably still bit of respect and a bit of you know looking at me with admiration of being able to get through what I've been through but yeah I'd say things probably changed a bit there in terms of the way I was seen but that was just for me I needed to learn and and grow my own confidence again and learn to love myself again in order to feel worthy and feel loved. I had a uh, a mate of mine, Kerry Suter, on the the show earlier this earlier this year. Um, so he was big in the the running community, and he went for a mountain bike ride in February this year in Rotorua, and yeah. ended up in a similar situation to you. And he said, when he he was in the spinal unit, like very early on, like they basically told him, "There's no hope. Like there's there's no fucking hope. You're not getting your legs back. You're not walking again. You're not running again. Yeah. Get used to that idea." You, I followed you on Instagram. You, um, you rehabbed fucking hard for years afterwards. Like every day on Instagram, you'd be like grinding away in the gym. Were you given the same sort of speech that he was? Like, there's, there's no hope, or yeah, was that was, just your own stubbornness? I guess. Or no, I was told um, no chance of walking again. One to two percent chance of getting up a limb function. So this was just your defiance, like, yeah. yeah. I was like, well, you don't know me. You don't know how yeah, hard I'm okay. willing to work. You don't know how determined I am. And and you know, one to two percent. Like I've, I've been up against those sorts of odds my whole career. Like in terms of the tricks I was trying, I was some, you know, random kid from New Zealand who was barely even sponsored, land the fourth, fourth 1080 in the world. So 
um, you know, and, and putting myself up there with the biggest names. And so th- that was my mentality. I was just like, well, I'm just going to fight. I'm going to do what I can to get that back. And, yeah, I remember um, obviously hearing about Kerry's um, accident and I spoke with him and his partner um, while yeah, he was Ali. in the spinal yeah. unit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, you know, that's something I try to do as well is if I can in any way help. And I know how scary those first weeks and months and stuff are in the spinal units. And so, yeah, I try to help out in any way I can and just chat to them about, like, my journey and, and what I've been through and been able to accomplish. Because, you know, I never want to go in and go, hey, this is how your life's going to be because that's just not true. I can't tell anyone that. Mm. Um, and that's 100% what I didn't want when I had my injury. I was like, I don't want someone in a wheelchair coming in and tell me what my mm. life's going to be like. But So that's how I try to approach it, just openly and just have a good chat. And um, it's definitely a scary and daunting time in the spinal unit, but um, there's progress to be made and... Mm. And it doesn't always have to be in the way that we think it's going to be. I, I thought my progress was going to be in physical, and it wasn't. And yeah, I just had to make that shift. Just getting the sweats a little bit. Just getting a bit of a sweat. Can you just check my bag? See if it's draining. It is. Is there much in it? Completely full. Or? I can check the fan on if you want. It's a f- no, it's not a temperature okay. thing. It's yeah. more just my body's response. Want twenty percent discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. All good? Yep, all good. We'll see how that goes for a little while. Um, all right, oh, yeah. so we, we just had a break then just to um, wipe the sweat off your brow and change your catheter. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, so while um, your caregiver was doing that, I, I, I've had a bit of a cough and I managed to cough myself and I just went for a piss myself. And after speaking with you, it just re- reminds me of those little things that we, we just do automatically as humans and you take for granted and it makes me appreciate um, how lucky I am to be able to do all that. Yeah, like I can't even cough really if I, mm. you know, that's... One thing, if I get a chest infection or if I got COVID, like it's, you know, I'm at a pretty decent risk. Like I've got great, you know, great respiratory system. I can hold my breath for a long time. I've got good lungs, but I don't have the ab strength to like cough and, you know, mm-hmm. push um, to push a good cough out. So, yeah, it's just it's part of it, you know, catheters. And recently I had to get a colostomy bag, which was something I wanted to avoid at all costs. But was that? No one wants a bag, you know, the poo on the outside. It's right. like, it's just... My main fears around it were, is it going to limit me from activities and adventure like free diving and things like that? And the second one was around intimacy, which again, you know, I've already got a catheter that sort of comes out from below my belly button. And it's just one of those things that's just kind of mentally just didn't want to kind of have to end up with. And I think like, you know, I, I really like to approach things with as much realism as possible and kind of being realistic about knowing that someone in a wheelchair isn't the first kind of most attractive thing that someone's going to go for. But like if I've accepted that from, from the beginning and if I'm going out and I'm like considering approaching someone, you know, like talking to women and things like that, if I go out, out into that situation, accepting that I know rejection is a high possibility. um, If you accept that from the beginning, then it's way less daunting um, even if you like, cause a, if, if you do get rejected, a lot of the time you're like, 
oh, it wasn't as bad as what I thought and built it up to be. And then, you know, obviously there's the other side where you don't, but um, don't get it rejected. You end up chatting with someone and, you know, you just never know what people are open to. And at the end of the day, if I don't put myself out there, then I'm not going to have that opportunity. So it's... Has, has so- social media and aspects like that made it easier in the respect that I suppose you can meet someone not fully like put your cards on the table and then if they're into you they can message you the next day um I've found like with social media that mainly the girls that are interested and and suffer overseas right I feel like there's that little bit of a barrier like a buffer that where it's like the complete reality of my situation isn't there um, you know, it's not front and centre. So they can just have a bit of fun, flirty time. Uh, yeah, and they're getting to know, like, yeah. just me and my personality, not everything and all the challenges. I don't know if that's really a good thing or not. It could be, you know, it could be that stepping stone toward meeting someone. And, um, you know, I haven't, haven't gone into dating apps or anything like that. Um, the, the last few um, girlfriends and relationships I've been in um, have been, you know, very authentic meetings and, um, you know, you meet them out and about at events or, yeah, out in public. So, um, I, you look, I'll be honest, there's been a bit of a dry, a dry spell lately and um, that's just reality, obviously, through COVID times and things like that. The DMs are open. Um, <laughs> but, but no, it's, um, it's just, a, it is what it is. It's a big change from how things were before, but, you know, it, it's just I've changed my, my focus on what's important as well and I know that, you know, the the right one will come along and, you know, I just, I, I don't go into those situations like scared of if it'll work or if it won't uh, and trying to have faith that the, the thing that will work or the, the right one will come along and if we try and fail, that's just part of the journey and, and getting there, so... When we when we spoke at the beginning of this year, we sort of we sort of touched upon this, but I I feel like you know it was sort of delicately approached. But now that I've read the book, I feel like it's 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 all out there. So so you can you can still get an erection, but it's not it's not thought based. So it's not activated by your brain. Yeah. So if someone brushes past you, you could you could get barred up. But you, you've got no you've got no sort of feeling to speak of. No direct feeling. I mean, what I describe it in the book is like two percent of what I used to feel. Like there is something is a tiny bit of feeling there um but yeah i can basically i can start but i can't finish if you put it that way right, and so right. it's like um but yeah thought and visuals don't um the the message doesn't get through there i mean there might be some you know but it's more at the end of the day it could you know i'm probably more likely to get a, a, you know to get it up if someone's trying to, you know, position my underwear right and accidentally brush past it. could be a man, it could be a female, it doesn't matter. Um, my body doesn't make any <laughs> distinguish <laughs> between those. Um, you know, versus like there could be some beautiful woman dancing in front of me naked and it's not going to get me barred up. So it's it's just a, um, yeah, just part of the, the learnings of all the different things that my injury um, has and brings to my, my life. So have, have you not had an orgasm since the accident? No, nope. it's going to be a, over eight years and counting. It's going to be a jiznami eventually. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not a wet dream. No, nothing. Um, I mean, there's you know times I've seen like you know there's a little bit of um, pre stuff coming you know going on, but like but the doctors said basically there's a possibility of getting there of of being able to have an orgasm, um, but it's um, the way I view it. It's one of those things. You just, you got to try to to get there and. 
um, you know, we've, we've tried, and it's just it's one of those things that's you never know. Like the doctors say, maybe it's like fifty fifty if you if I'll be able to or not. So I don't know on what side of that I'll land, yeah. but I'm not scared of trying. <laughs> so so when you're when you're lying there and a, and a girl hops on, does it feel nice physically, or is it just like a nice? A nice mental thing because you know you're being intimate with someone. I think that that two percent of feeling is is actual physical feeling. Right. Like it's as I said before, I've, you know, in pain all the time. I have these nerve pains and everything. So everything below my net level of injury, which is sort of a line across my chest, just above nipple line, um, everything below that constantly feels negative. You know, it's it's, it's pain. It's unpleasant. So that's kind of one of the only times I ever feel anything pleasant below the level of injury. And it's very minor, it's very subtle, but it's something. But then, you know, the visual as well and just the experience, and that was something that, you know, as you will have read, I I really had to mentally overcome that comparison of what it used to be before, focusing constantly on what I can't do. I can't reach up and touch and feel and, you know, and move around positions and all that sort of stuff, which was, that's what sex was for me before, and that's what, it was programmed into my mind as so it felt like less. It felt like it wasn't something I was able to enjoy at the beginning because I was constantly battling these thoughts in my head, even though what was happening in front of me and on top of me was beautiful and something that I was really um, obviously happy with. And But yeah, it's just that kind of mental struggle that I had to get over for a while there. And it became more about like, rather than focusing on what I can't do, it's about looking at what I can do, being grateful for what I have and what, I, what I'm what i able to do. And um, so it's the more you direct your intention and your focus onto the positive, um, I think just, yeah, puts us in a positive mindset and lets us enjoy those things as opposed to comparing it against, like, something else you've done in the past. Yeah, and, sure. and we can all do that, you know. Like, if you, even if you're out on a hike and it's like things aren't quite going as great as they were if you're constantly focusing on the best hike you've ever had and most fun you've ever had in that adventure and going oh well, this isn't that this isn't you know it's just mm. it puts a negative spin on things rather than focusing on oh, on the moment yeah there's a saying i really like that um the comparison is the theft of joy and it's yeah. so true so true with yes. all aspects do you want to be a dad one day around being a father there's fears around that there's hurdles and and things that like people have done it before, and that's why I'm like, okay, you know, I can, I can do that. I've gone through so many other challenges. And what, what do you mean, fears and hurdles? What are you having a child? You can't even hold in your arms. Yeah, you know, like not being able to physically like teach them things and play catch and teach them to skateboard and all these things that I was like, oh, I can't do this. Like, as, and that's what a father is supposed to be. But then again, that was kind of what Susie and I dug into and. In belief systems is what is a father? Well, some people have great fathers, some people have shitty fathers, some people don't have a father at all that's in their life. So I'm just comparing things with how my life was and my upbringing yeah. was and how my dad was in my life. And, you know, there are so many women out there that are raising a child on their own, you know, and, and to be able to be a pillar of support and, you know, to, to be able to be a part of that but maybe not be exactly what my father was to me in terms of a lot of those things you know it's just kind of a a mental hurdle that i need to overcome and i know that like even the learnings in my book don't project your thoughts and fears too far forward because we don't know what that situation is actually going to be until you're in it that's Mm. just all that is is just fear 
so yeah, that's that's something that I'm you know I'm keen to have and um, but you never know. Like obviously, I I thought my life was going to work out the way everyone does, and you think you're going to find a partner and have kids together. But I mean, how many people end up with a partner who's already got a child and you end up being like a stepfather and you know like that's just that's just as normal as what we all picture as the perfect happy family. So. It's just a switch in, in belief systems and the way we approach life and just have to be open to different possibilities and things, yeah, working out um, in a different way to what we might think they will. Working out the way they're supposed to work out. Yeah. Well, yeah, Kerry, who I mentioned before, who I had on, his, um, his partner, Ali, like she's pregnant at the moment. Yeah. Um, and he was saying that the morning of the accident, she was going out for a lake swim, he was going out for a mountain bike ride, so she was in the first trimester at the time. He, he, he burst into tears during our chat just saying, basically what you said like he's not going to be able to hold his kid um there's he doesn't know what his life expectancy is like yeah all these things it was um oh, it broke my heart yeah and it is it's it's scary and it's um it's something that you know is is i think even with anyone that i'd get into a relationship with if it's something that they want and they'd probably have these ideas and thoughts and fears around it as well so you know i think the main thing is just being open to seeing what life throws at us and and knowing that, you know, even before we're saying like what life is supposed to be or what is supposed, like what, that's just a figment of our imagination. Mm. It's it's these beliefs and ideas that have kind of been ingrained into us from when we're young and so many of those aren't entirely valid. You know, so so much of it's around body image and what we should look like. We're humans, we're all we come in all shapes and sizes and forms, and uh, you know I'm kind of trying to embrace the idea that there is no should, and there is no supposed to be like that's just what we're building up in our mind, and it's it's just what is mm. like that's the o- the only reality, the only truth is here and now, and what is everything else outside of that is just the stories that our minds like to tell us. It's amazing how how our minds like to do that and they they sway from the present moment sway from reality so much which you know there's there's some positives to that in terms of being creative and you know progressing certain technologies and this and that if you're not a dreamer you can't dream up these ideas and and things but you know a lot of the time we really need to pull things back into focus into the present and and just yeah try not to let our emotions kind of go too far Forward into the future or back into the past. Yeah, that feels like a Susieism. Seems like you've got a lot from uh, a lot from her. We'll get into. Her. First of all, I want to. Well, another thing, Kerry said to me just while I'm thinking of it. So, when I saw him, he was like two to three months into into his journey in a, in a chair. Yeah. Um, so it was very early days, and his parting message was something like, "Any any day where you can wake up in the morning and evacuate your own bowels is a good day." Now you've um, you're years and years down the track now, and you talk about this process in the book. So, what does an average day look like for you from start to finish? So, well, it's it's changed a bit now, and you know, there's stuff I talk about in the book, like when I went back to the spinal unit with the pains that I was dealing with, the high blood pressure, and everything from my morning bowel care routine, which involved you know basically getting turned on my side, have a suppository put up my butt, and you know you kind of wait and let it do its thing, but then part of it 
you know, it doesn't always like evacuate your bowels completely. And I needed a caregiver to like glove up, put some lube on their finger. <laughs> digital. Yeah, the, there's the a part of the book. Simulation. It's quite, actually quite funny. And it makes like yeah. do, some digital thing. And you didn't, you thought it was something to do with technology. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the, the doctor, you know, the nurse like waves his fingers around. He's like, no, he's like digits. Um, and so, yeah, I had to overcome that. That was pretty daunting. Um, and, but it became a part of my everyday life to have my caregivers helping me evacuate my bowels. and So how long does it take? So they put the suppositories up and then so, so you just all, wait? Like for, initially, you, you put the suppository in and you get up into your, into your um, shower commode chair, which has a hole underneath it. You can position that over the toilet and you sit there and you wait for things to, to fall out. I ended up going through some issues, ended up with hemorrhoids and some bleeding and some other, other issues going on. So I had to go back to doing my bowel cares in bed, which another, was another hurdle. I'm like shit in the bed every morning but obviously you put down um, plastic sheets or yeah all yeah. the stuff you need and um, keep it all clean but so I had to go back to that and then went back to the spinal unit because my you know I ended up with autonomic dysreflexia from that like it's uh, my body telling me that something's not right it shoots my blood pressure up it's pretty much my ba- my body feeling pain that I can't feel um, and it the signal is putting my blood pressure up so I get the sweats which is why we had to pause before I had a little bit of a sweat going. And then, yeah, my blood pressure was getting to the point. It was almost getting to like 200 over 100 every every morning, and it's like verging on, um, you know, risking having a stroke. So I went back to the spinal unit, and they, I thought they were going to really address the problem, but they sent me home with a patch that I put on my arm, which helped keep my blood pressure down. But then, yeah, so that kind of led to, like, I'm dealing with the, the, these issues, and we don't really know what it is. Um but then since the book's finished, quarter of the way through last year, I started getting more pains again just from sitting in my chair. And it wasn't until the start of the year that I um, we diagnosed it. And so it turns out to be a, what's called a perianal fistula. I mean, you don't like to say the word anal fistula because <laughs> the two words back to back doesn't really sound, you know, paints a different picture. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that um, it's basically an infection that burrows another tunnel that it's not supposed to be there, and it ends up full of infection and just nastiness. And so, yeah, I had to deal with that. I had surgeries um, this year. I've had two so far. I've got one more to go, and it's just it's just part of it. And part of that surgery was to get a colostomy bag, so I no longer have to go through the around about two hours every morning. Oh, it took wow. that I'd be just sweating and uncomfortable, and I'd distract myself. I'd have my phone in front of me and be on social media or doing doing whatever. Yeah. And, but so no, getting a colostomy bag, as I said, it was something I didn't want, but it has made things a lot easier in that sense. I, you know, that's how I was able to get up early this morning and go and do a radio interview and then come here. And it means I don't have to go through those two hours every morning. Okay, yes, I've got a bag hanging out the side of my stomach with, that I poo into, but, and, you know, it hasn't been the smoothest process and pain and discomfort that comes along with it. But um, I'm just trying to, like, let my body figure things out hopefully you know they do say it can take a couple of months for for it to kind of settle into a routine but yeah it's just it's just changes and you know it's the lesser of two evils I guess you know it's kind of uh it's given me my mornings back and you know no longer have to get a finger up the butt to help me poo every morning and how, how long does it take to, to get used to that like uh you know, you've, you've been going through this stuff for seven years now, or whatever. Like, when 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 does it become your, your new sort of normal? So you're just playing on your phone, and it or does it while. ever become normal? I mean, it comes, it becomes normal, but 
that doesn't mean I like it. Doesn't mean I've completely accepted it and everything. But yeah, it's it doesn't actually take that long um, for things to kind of just become normal. Obviously, at the very beginning, I resisted all of that. I didn't want any of that happening. I was like, "Get your finger away from me!" Like, <laughs> um, and I, you know, you would have read the funny part when I'm in the, the spinal unit and the, the big guy walks in to come and <laughs> yeah, do my bowels. I'm like, "Jesus Christ, what yeah. am I in for?" But yeah, like you got no feeling journey. down there. Well, some feeling, not not, <laughs> not, not full feeling, yeah. and that's that's what I, you know, the one thing I, I say is like. The feeling I have below my injury, I get to feel all the negative stuff, all the pain and everything, not a lot of the good stuff. And mm. that's kind of just part of it. It's just, it's this injury, I guess. Yeah. So Susie, who's, who's Susie? She's a, she's a friend of your mum's. So you knew her pre-accident. Yeah, so mum used to go to her Pilates studio, which is Suna Pilates over on Barrys Point Road on the shore. And um, and I started going along just, you know, out with my physical conditioning, with other injuries I'd had, my knee and my shoulder surgery and just getting core strength up and um yeah i enjoyed it and she used to like joke around about like you know she'd let me come for free and i'd go to the morning classes and she'd joke about me being you know hot brad that would be there for kind of eye candy for the young mums that would come in after <laughs> dropping the kids off um but no we we had a great relationship and in, in terms of like she would just help me through my injuries and and then, yeah, she came along after the accident, came and saw me in the spinal unit and just became this kind of real pillar of support for me and um, just was a game changer in terms of my recovery, my mental recovery and a lot of the, um, the issues I was facing and would come and sit with me once a week and we'd just talk about what needed to be talked about. And so that chapter, I think that's called Mondays with Susie, which is like a play on the Tuesdays with Maury book. Yeah, which was one of my favourite books yeah, reading a, of before this. Yeah. So is she like a trained like a psychologist or psychotherapist or anything or just a wise woman? Uh, so she's a, a kinesiologist, which is more around like the connection between the body and the organs and the emotional impact that the body can have on that. And I don't know barely anything about it, but um, we were doing some kinesiology stuff, but she's also been through her own life challenges um, and things, you know, stuff that I put in the book where she revealed to me that she had like lost twins in childbirth yeah. and, I mean, that's got to be one of the hardest things for a, for a woman and mother to go through. So that was kind of what helped me open up to her and know, okay, she's been through some shit. But she's just very wise and has a, an interesting view on, on the world that, yeah, just she was able to really help me dig past the, the belief systems that surface, stuff that I'd learned and that I really felt was true and... and hundred percent like a part of what life is but there's so many of these things you can dig past that surface belief and really get down to the nitty-gritty of what it actually means and what it is and, and the reality of things and so yeah she helped me with that and we just I think that was the most challenging part of actually writing in the book was crafting those learnings and those conversations because there's a lot of dialogue there and I had to just kind of take a lot of that from memory and a couple of recordings that I had from our sessions. and So, yeah, I, I enjoyed writing all that stuff, but it was really challenging to, to put it into words and come up with, you know, the right analogies that we used and, you know, talking about currency and how we spend our currency on the things in our life that, um, you know, and sometimes, like with me, my injury changed the currency and I was trying to spend the old currency on on the same things that I used to where everything had changed. So. Mm. Yeah. She was really good at putting these analogies forward and these different comparisons and ways to 
to look at things and um, and it just really helped me grasp the concepts that she was trying to put forward and it's sort of that I wanted my book to be kind of a stepping stone and, and people coming along the journey toward that sort of enlightenment if you want to call it that rather than some of these real guru-y self-help books that are quite a leap to get to like yeah. sort of your Eckhart Tolle type books which are you know, the ex- of now. <laughs> they explore a lot yeah, of the same concepts, yeah. but the, it can be a bit of a leap mentally to get to that. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, yeah, I hope people kind of enjoy that journey and and pick up on the learnings along the way. Do you sort of find yourself now, because um, there, there's a lot of talk in the book about um, FOMO, the fear of missing out, do you find you still have those thoughts now, because that's human nature, but when you have those thoughts, you, the lessons from Susie, you sort of, uh, they immediately sort of exactly. pull you back. And, and this with everything, every emotion, it doesn't. There's, there's nothing that I've been able to do to completely wipe those emotions from my life no, and those, those feelings. It's more just having the tools and the understanding to to know how to approach them. Like FOMO, you know, it's it's a fear of missing out. It's it's and again, it's it's basically putting myself mentally into somewhere that I'm not, somewhere outside of now, outside of the present. Because you know, if you think of here and now as the two realities. The fear of missing out, there could be something that's happening now, but it's not here with me, it's somewhere else. So I'm just projecting my thoughts into what I think that moment is going to be and what I'm missing out on. But the reality is if we're completely present, you can't miss out. You know, Because if you think that every moment we have in life that we experience, we have the opportunity to learn something from, whether it's perceived as positive or negative at the time, we don't know what it's going to lead to. Um, you know, the most negative thing that happens to us could lead to the best thing ever that um, may not have come if that if that negative thing didn't happen. So, you know, as I said before, our minds like to wander outside of reality a little bit, and um, I think it's really just about having those little reminders there. Like I have this thing, you know, if I ever feel jealous or if I feel FOMO or if I feel inadequate, there's like a little reminder, like a little notification that goes ping in my mind, and I'm like, you know what this is. Like you, you've done the... the you know, yeah, the, work, the work. You know that if you're feeling jealous, you know that you can steer your intention and your and your mentality toward how you want to feel. Like a, rather than feeling jealous toward a friend for something that they got that I didn't, it's about being stoked for that friend for their success or, or whatever that that might be. So yeah, it's um, it's just about having those tools there to to grab onto when we need them, and um, and that's again what I hope people will take from yeah. this book and do you, do you still see her now yep it's not every week um could be maybe once once a month once every two weeks it's more just if and when i need it if mm. i feel like i need a chat if i feel like you know and she's also um you know she's she's learning and, and growing and um taking her sort of kinesiology um studies further and she's learning new things that she can do and apply to my body and so she'll come around sometimes and go, oh i've got this new thing i want to try i'm like cool i'll be your, your test dummy or whatever it is yeah um so now we have a, we have a great relationship and catch up quite often so yeah um there's another thing in the same sort of chapter a quote from your dad where he goes nothing has any meaning but the meaning we give it nothing yeah. has any meaning but the meaning what does that mean exactly oh i mean it's just more like what we as society or we as individuals believe in life and the importance we put on things is purely just what we have decided and you know and if you think of like i mean anything really in life it's just about the the belief and the meaning that we give things 
and we we have the ability to adapt that and change that in our minds. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting um, digging into that stuff mm. and realizing that yeah that that we have the ability to adjust our beliefs and adjust the meaning we put on on things, the importance that we put on certain things. If you had to pick one, what are you more proud of? That that trick that ultimately put you in the chair or this book? It would have to be the book. Yeah. Um, and I think it's more because of what I had to go through to to finish it, mm. the amount of work that went into it. Like, sure, there was, what, 15 years of learning to wakeboard and building up and, and learning new tricks and everything along the way. Um, but the commitment that it took and the, the amount of work and the amount of effort and the amount of challenge and struggle and just like I didn't want to do it most days. I was like I, I'm a procrastinator. I'm not great at like putting my time into, into that sort of thing. So the fact that I just like grinded my way through it all, it took me six years. It just it's something it's the, the, the one thing that I've put the most amount of work into besides wakeboarding but wakeboarding was something that i enjoyed every moment of it whereas this i didn't um writing the book there were moments of that i enjoyed i'd be like oh yeah i like how that part turned out and or it was good to get that off my chest but the process was challenging and it was a struggle and it put me in into you know um into a bit of depression at times and um yeah, so no, definitely more proud of yeah oh, of the book and. Um, well, please, you said that you, you've you've crafted a masterpiece here, and it's um. Have you seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? I have. It's almost like there's. It kind of reminds me of Andy Dufresne, like you're burrowing his way out of the jail with like a rock hammer or whatever. Like yeah. the, the the way that you've done this, it's just I'm, and I'm sure you've just had people saying this over and over again in media interviews in the last couple of weeks. It's mind blowing. I love that comparison, the rock hammer. And- <laughs> And you say like short shanking about this I book, love it. but another thing, like I, um, I've I've um, done my books through the same publisher, and your contract's probably the same as mine. It's like you need to do seventy to ninety thousand words. So for a procrastinator to get to half a million or whatever, calm down. That was more um, <laughs> more of the evidence of the fact that I'm not a writer. I wasn't a writer. I, I didn't know how to shape a book. I didn't know what was important to put in and what wasn't. Um, so I just brain dumped my whole story. and yeah, was Just like, word vomit. Here you go. Now you know the whole story. Like, what are we putting out there? Like, what, what do we whittle it down to? Um, and, yeah, it was, it was amazing, you know. And I did have some, some thoughts, you know, around the amount of, like, sex content in there and the women and things like that. I was like, oh, okay, like, how are women going to receive this? But my entire editing, publishing team was all women. So, you know, I kind of leaned on them to know how much was was good to go in. And um, so, they, yeah, they were really helpful with that. Including this, this um, you know, lady called Jenny, who I imagine um, at Ellen and Unwin, like, clutching her pearls while reading it. Especially, <laughs> especially the bit about the foursome. Oh, especially reading the uncensored version. <laughs> oh, um, God, is this toned down? Oh, it's all been There's, like, a director's down. cut somewhere. Oh, totally. Yeah, there is, but don't go searching. It's like, <laughs> you're not going to find it. Um but no, it's yeah, and, and that was kind of. I was a little bit concerned about that, but I was like, okay, well, if these are the people that are reading it and proofreading it and, and everything and helping me know what to put out there, then I think they're the best ones to do that. So, yeah, yeah. I feel like hypothetical questions are sort of a, a waste of time, as you would learn from Susie. But should we do a, a couple of hypotheticals? Sure, why not? How would how would your life look now had had you not had the accident? So how old are you now? Thirty five. 
Brad, would he still be going around from house to house, uh, I, <laughs> wakeboarding? I feel like, I don't know, there were a few things in my career that I was like working toward, but whether they would have, um, you know, what path I would have taken, you know, I was into commentary and um, getting into presenting and stuff around events. I was also getting into the hands-on of like setting up cable systems and the stuff I was learning at Lake Ronix. Um, and getting involved with the company that was that was doing that and going around the US and building cable parks. That was something I thought I might do and maybe even build a cable park here back in New Zealand. Um, also as well around like maybe um, with relationships, I think even at, you know before my injury, I was at the point where I was like, okay, I kind of want to, I want to be able to have a proper relationship as opposed to, just living the single life and you know I think that's something I would have I would have found but you know at the end of the day I might have been might have ended up back here in New Zealand broke no no real like qualifications or anything and could have ended up being a builder or a tradie of some sort like I don't know I don't know what I would have fallen into but um yeah it's interesting to think you know would I still be in the US would I be back here it's hard to say really yeah yeah and and if, if someone said to you okay if God said to you, because God is real, <laughs> no, totally. you, you talk about this in the book, and I love the the headline, which got you in a little bit of heat with some religious. You, you said, "If this is God's plan, then God's a dick." Yeah, which I thought is a perfectly fair thing. Yeah, exactly. Perfectly. But I had John Kerwin on the Sir John Kerwin on the podcast, and he he said he uh, he managed to reframe it when someone explained to him that you just replaced the word God with love. Exactly. That was sort of my view as well. Yeah. Or it's just it's just adjusting it and knowing that look, that's. I think if we look at being completely honest about it all, the only thing that we can know for sure is that we don't know what is in terms of religion and God mm. and creation and things like that. Like, you know, and so it's, it's just about, for me, it was like translating, yeah, as you say, the word God for love or connection or the universe or whatever it is that you believe God to be. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of, that was a big growing experience because for me I used to like resist that and want to, want to debate and kind of like, yeah. you know, and, and so... <laughs> Retaliate. It, yeah, and it was yeah. more around like being able to accept the the meaning behind what people were saying, like going, oh, you know, this is all God's plan or um, whatever it might be. And it's just their beliefs and their way of trying to connect and trying to um, tell me that things are going to be okay. And I just had to learn that that's what they were saying and that it's not like, oh, yeah, there's this guy in the sky who planned for you yeah, to break yeah. your neck and fuck your life up. It's still so, frustrating, to hear, it's frustrating to hear that, I guess, from the is. position you're in. Yeah. Say, say someone said to you, okay, Brad, you've you got two options. I can, we, can, we can restore your mobility and give you five more years of life. We can have another 40 years of life as a quad. What would you pick? Oh, uh, that's a tough one. Um, if you'd have told me that right before my accident, I'd be, fuck, give me five years of mm. epic life of what I've been living. Like, you know, all of my fears at that time around, all my beliefs around what it meant to be a quadriplegic, it's like, do you want 40 years of misery or five years of epicness? That's what I would have thought at the time. Yeah. Obviously, I have a different view on it now, so it's a tough one, you know. It's hypothetical, so yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I yeah. could give a, a proper answer on that really because yeah. it you know I, I see it both ways and I see benefit and positives in both ways and I think at the end of the day the 40 years of me in a wheelchair 
I think has a more of a, a positive impact on the world and other people than five years of me yeah. charging it as a wakeboarder. Yeah. So. And that probably leads us nicely to this, um, this quote uh, from the book where you say, I don't know how I could ever be grateful for this life. Yeah, um, which is funny because the uh, latest Woman's Day headline is, I am grateful for my injury, mm. which kind of a misquote. Uh, I think they, <laughs> I'll, I'll call that clickbait um, because what? I'm not. The women's magazines doing clickbait. I can't. You know, I couldn't say I'm grateful for my injury. Of course happening. not. I've found gratitude for things that my, you know, that have happened in my life since my injury, and that this change in in the direction of my life has brought me. So, but it's a tough one because you know, like Susie tried to to teach me that, like. In order, if you're grateful for something now, you kind of have to be grateful for everything that leads you to this moment, um, which is challenging because we have all these ups and downs and things that we wish we could have smoothed out and maybe had not had happen in our lives, but we don't know what effect that would have had and where it would have sent us. Um, so yeah, it's just finding gratitude um, for yeah for the things that that we love about our lives and focusing on what is good. So there is gratitude there, but I, I don't know if I could ever say I'm grateful for the injury itself. Um, that's just a tough one to yeah to get through. Absolutely. So. Oh, for sure. Um, but mentally, how are you today? You I'm good. good today? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've still been going through some physical challenge, which are, cha- you know, they are challenging. They are testing me. and um, But, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for... The fact that I've got a book out, this project that I've been working on for six years, I'm grateful that I'm not having a rice it anymore um, <laughs> each day. And, and it's funny, you know, people are like, uh, you know, leading up to the release, like, oh, my God, I can't wait to read your book. And at that point, I'd read it three times in the last four months. I'm mm. like, I can't wait to not read my book. But, no, I'm just really grateful for the response and for, you know, like the media that have wanted to speak with me about it and just the opportunities that it's coming is bringing to me and and the responses that I'm getting the the messages and people saying oh my god I can't put this book down I was up till three a.m. I had to force myself to to put it down and go to sleep and um, so yeah having that sort of feedback and it's good and it's got me and it, you know like that that feeling of purpose I think that's what we all need to be in a good place is to to feel like there's some sort of purpose yeah um, and whatever that may be and I think I think keeping that in in moderation or just knowing that like it doesn't have to be this massive grand purpose that is going to change the entire world like we can make it as small as possible but having that something that we're working toward something that we're focused on and and um, passionate about this this book and you know the media around it and getting it out there that's what that is for me and then on to the next journey yeah oh mate it's um, something to be to be proud of and um, yeah I hope you're feeling sort of euphoric at the moment um, because you deserve to be yeah I mean definitely um, you know my body and the the pain and the discomfort is trying to like pull that away from me but <laughs> but at the end of the day you know we can steer our intention and and our um, our focus and for me I just like to pull that back to what I'm grateful for and, and the good stuff that's going on in life at the moment. Yeah. Oh, one, one last one just before I wrap up. So you had the, the book launch last weekend, uh, which was a fantastic party. There was a clip you played at the end, like a couple of minutes of a, like a documentary, and I noticed um, like you, started, you started crying at that time. Are they, they tears of sadness, tears of pride? Watching the docker? Yeah. I think your eyes were playing tricks on you. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I was crying. Um, 
because I've seen that so many times yeah. and everything. Um, I know that there included, are, included the footage of um, the un, uncensored footage of you um, having the accident. Yeah, and again, I've seen that plenty of times. It yeah. doesn't affect me anymore. Um, you know, the the one part that I don't know, there might have been a little bit of welling up in my eyes, and it's just when there's the voicemail that was left on my mum's phone about the accident. When that plays, that always gets me. Um, and but yeah, so that's kind of the next part of the journey. We've got to documentary project we're working on um with the amazing team at motion sickness um which i think they've just been ranked like fifth in the world of like creative agency for this year it's like they do amazing stuff um you know we're we're most of the way there with the funding we're just kind of trying to pull in the last like 30 percent of the funding and um hopefully yeah my body plays plays ball for summer and we can finish the rest of the filming and, and um, hopefully have another project out there this time next year. Another thing for me to be proud of and another thing for me to come chat to you about. And yeah. Is, is, is that what you need in life, like things to look forward to, do you think? I think so. I think yeah. we all need something to, to look forward to, something to work on. And, you know, otherwise we're just kind of lingering and just floating through life and it's, you know, it's good to have a, a focus. And, a, and for me it's, you know, I, I like to do big these big projects that I think will – um, have a positive impact on on people and the way they approach life and yeah there's a, a quote that I, I like to use um, which is more around just kind of living for the moment and doing what we can for now and it's um, never forget yesterday but always live for today because you never know what tomorrow can bring or what it could take away yeah I like that yeah. I like that it's probably a good place to end it Oh, yeah. oh, but if, they, if there's any single girls listening and they want to slide into your DMs, what are you what are you looking for? What's the what's the dream? Yeah, just people who are who are open to to learning about mm. different ways of of doing things and the fact that you know my life is a bit different, but it doesn't mean that it's all miserable or anything. Like yeah. you know, there's just there's some great stuff going on as well. So yeah, you, um, you still get the top five inches, which is the most important part, <laughs> eh? Totally, hundred percent. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's about connection and it's just about, you know, like chatting with people and getting to know them and seeing, you know, what, what sort of ideas and mentalities and ways of life kind of connect and, and work together. So, oh, yeah, just I've... keeping myself myself open and, uh, yeah, welcoming of anyone who's, who's interested and wants to chat and, yeah. Yeah, well, you, I think you're a great catch. For um, the, the right person, a nurturing person, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Cheers. Slide away, ladies. Hooking me up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, congrats, man. This book is uh, it's awesome. It's something to be proud of. And uh, I, I can see you sort of bursting with, even though you've got nerve issues at the moment, I can see you sort of bursting with pride, and, and you should be as well. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for making it all the way to the end. That was Brad Smaler on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. If you like what you hear, uh, maybe give it a five-star rating um, on your podcast platform or even leave a review. If you've got any feedback, suggestions, criticism, positive feedback, whatever, you can email me anytime you want, domharveynz at gmail.com or domharveynz on Instagram. Thank you very much for the support. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. I'll see you next week. Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. Selling a little? 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 